Growing a successful design business is hard work. There's so much to do and so little time to get it all done, not to mention the actual design work. The good news is that we are here to help. I'm Krista, the WordPress developer and website strategist from KristaRay.co. And I'm Corey, the designer and creative coach from CoreyWoodard.com. In the Get Back to Design podcast, we're going to share strategies and tools to help streamline and grow your design business, ditch the code and anything else you don't love, and well, get back to design. Grab a cup of coffee, open that Illustrator file you've been working on, and let's dive in. A big concern of a lot of designers who are thinking about collaborating with a developer for the first time or maybe have done it before but have had a less than wonderful experience is that the final site they get isn't going to look like the mock-ups they worked so hard on. And why are you going to bother with mock-ups if the site you get doesn't look like them? Um, This is a really valid concern, actually. I wish I could say that it wasn't and that you don't have to worry about it, but it's a valid concern. I've seen websites where you can't tell the difference between the mock-up and the final site, and I've seen websites where you're like, what was the developer, like, even looking at? Like, did they get the wrong files or what? So as a designer, you want to be confident that your client sites will turn out just how you expected them to. So today we're going to talk about what you can do during a project to ensure the website you design is what your developer actually delivers and you're not left with any surprises or disappointment or just wondering what the heck this thing is that you just got. I am really happy that we are talking about this because I'm just going to be straight up with you, Krista. When I sent you the very first mock-ups for whatever was the very first thing, I assumed it would look exactly like my mock-ups. Like, if you would have, like, done something and it didn't look like it, I would have been like, what are you doing? Because that's how, like, that's how I develop the stuff that I do. I try to make it look maybe not perfectly down to the pixel, the exact same. But yeah, so that was my expectation. And I think some people don't realize that if you are not smart in picking your developer, that is definitely (laughs) not going to happen. So I'm really happy that we are digging into this a little bit more so we can kind of bust through those expectations and make sure people really know what to expect here. Yeah, and that's what I want to start with, too, is managing your expectations instead of jumping right into the tips. So I'm sure a lot of you are wondering what you should even expect. Like, is should you expect some things to be a little off? Should you expect it to be pixel perfect? Like, I know that's like a question that people have quite a bit. And really, this is up to you, but for the most part, it should be pretty close to pixel perfect, um, especially, or like certainly closer to that than like, what am I looking at? Um, For me, as a developer, how precise I am depends on who I'm working with. Like, Corey, you are amazing for me. You don't go in and, like, measure everything. So I don't spend hours and hours making sure there's if there's, like, 20 or, like, I don't know, 70 pixels of padding between something that I didn't accidentally do, like, 71. Like, I don't worry about that with you because you're not crazy. (laughs) But (laughs) there are some designers who are like that. And I guess I shouldn't have said crazy because if you're one of those... 
you're not necessarily crazy. You just are very particular about how you like your things to look. And I do have designers I work with who are like that. Um, there's one in particular I'm thinking of who does precise measuring after I'm done. And she will come back and tell me if something is one or two pixels off. So with her, though, I know to quote extra for this, you know, these hours, I'm going to be in there making sure that, hey, if there are 70 pixels of spacing between these two things, there better be exactly 70. So really, all in all, you should expect that what you get will look just like your mock-ups, but how picky you want to be just depends on you. And you just want to make sure that you communicate that to who you're working with. Yeah, I can totally see how it comes down to if someone is like super fine print detail, like oriented, or if they just kind of look at it and they're like, oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I feel like I'm that way when I'm doing my designs, like I'll zoom in a lot, make sure everything is like lining up very perfectly. But that is kind of how I am in real life too. But I also (laughs) have learned that I can't expect other people to be like as much of a perfectionist and OCD about certain things like that. And not only that, but I, to some extent, I trust you and I know what other people like normal, not designers see. Mm -hmm. So if my husband wouldn't notice that it's two pixels off, then no one else is going to notice. Yeah, we're probably (laughs) safe. And I I will just say that I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) But so now you guys know kind of, you know, what what you should expect from a developer is up to you. But based on that, now I want to go into what you can do in your mockups to make this near perfection we we're talking about possible. So whether it is pixel perfect or just pretty close to it, um, these are some things you can do in your mockups to help make that possible. Because if you don't do these things, you can, you know, have the best developer out there, but they're not going to be able to do a good job. Um, First is designing on a grid. And this is something that a lot of designers I work with don't do. And I mean, it's fine, but I just don't get quite as pixel perfect with those. So what this means is thinking of the content area of your design as being made up of columns. So usually it's 12 columns you're thinking of. And what this does, you know, there's actually a lot of design benefits you guys might want to look up, but what it does for working with a developer is it makes precise measurements as well as like scaling for mobile possible. So your developer can know exact percentages if they can, you know, show your columns on the mockup and see, okay, this is taking up four columns. So that's 33% or 33.3%. Um, that's easier than them going, okay, this isn't really in a column. I'm just going to kind of guess how big this is supposed to be on different screen sizes. And that really is what it comes down to. And a lot of times that will translate just fine. But if you want things to be pixel perfect, you're going to want to think of your design as being on a grid. Um, go ahead. I definitely think this is a big one, especially for anyone who is not used to doing a lot of web-based designs, Mm -hmm. um, just because it can help you get a better idea of how things are so different when you're not doing like logos. Obviously, you don't necessarily have to have it on some kind of grid or um, like even print material. I know when I was learning how to do web design, even though I was learning how to do it with like HTML, we had no WordPress framework or anything fancy like that. We had to design on a grid and I am going to look up 
the website that um, my college professor used and try to link it for you guys in the show notes because it was really beneficial to have those columns and the gutters and be able to kind of design stuff like that. Um, Like I said, especially when you're just getting started, it's even more beneficial. Then like the other things we've talked about in previous episodes, you kind of get used to it and you don't necessarily have to have to think about having this very perfect grid laid out for you yeah and you won't feel hopefully held back by it at all um something else like what Corey just said with the gutters what those do it it makes it easy for you to be consistent with margins and sizes throughout your design as well so it's not just good for your developer it's also good for you but what this does do for your developer is that it makes makes it so everything is consistent. So it's really frustrating as a developer if you're using like 20 pixel margins in some places and then like randomly switch to different sizes. Then your developer has to go in and measure every single thing instead of just knowing, okay, there's always going to be 20 pixels, you know, between things. So just little things like that, designing on a grid actually can make a really big difference and makes it so your developer can make your mockups pretty much pixel perfect. Um, The next thing is designing to scale. So this one is much easier, but this is simply making your mockups the same size that you want the final website to be. So if you want the content area of the website to be 1200 pixels wide, make your mockups 1200 pixels wide. Almost always the mockups I get are way too big um, and I just, and that's when I end up eyeballing it. And I'm guessing there's a way in Photoshop or Illustrator to like scale it down to the exact size I want, but I'm a developer. I don't know how to use those things. I don't know how to do that. So that's when I end up eyeballing it. So it's a lot easier if you guys can just start with your mockups being the exact size you want. And then your developer can go in and measure different things, see exactly what size they're supposed to be, not have to do any conversions or math or eyeballing. It can all be perfect. I think this is where it's really easy to use a tool like um, Sketch because I think they have the like sizes of the screen all laid out for you and you don't have to say, I want this mock-up to be 2,000 pixels wide, and then you have to kind of figure out sizing mm-hmm. from there, because I know sometimes, and you were probably thinking about me when you were writing that whole <laughs> entire section. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I just kind of like, here we go, let's just do this whole thing, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I think Sketch does that, because it's really nice how you can think about certain screen sizes, and it helps you lay stuff out in a way that it's scaled to what mm-hmm. it's actually going to be viewed on. That's, I would like to look into Sketch more. I've never actually used it, but it sounds awesome. Um, in addition to those two things, something else that helps is to use the right measurements and terminology in your mockups. So when you're doing your font sizes and you're using points, that means nothing in terms of web design. There are some like conversion tables out there, but they're not completely accurate. So your font sizes are going to look off. Use pixels instead. And again, I'm probably I'm thinking that there has to be a way in Photoshop or Illustrator to convert things. I don't know how to do that. I'm a developer, you guys. <laughs> you know, so maybe before you send your mockups off, if it's possible to convert, do that. Otherwise, start in pixels so it can be perfect. Your developer clicks on the text they're working on. They can and see exactly what size it's supposed to be. They don't have to guess. Um, right along with that, tracking and letting. Is that how you say it, Corey? Letting? Yes. I always thought it was leading. Okay. <laughs> they mean nothing, as you can tell, to developers. Um, letter spacing. Corey, Corey has taught me this today. Letter spacing is tracking and line height is letting. Those are what 
mean things to a developer. If you send them numbers for tracking and letting, they're gonna be like, all right, I don't know what this means. I'm just gonna eyeball it. So speak in their language, you know. Um, this keeps your developer from having to eyeball things and they can get it exactly right. And like just a little basic studying about web design and a little bit of understanding about CSS can really help with these things. So if you're like, well, okay, they don't know what those things are, but I don't know what letter spacing and line height are, do a little research. Maybe we can all do a little research so we can understand each other better. But if your designs are being made for web, they should be speaking in terms of web. Yeah, I definitely think this is one where we kind of have to meet each other halfway. Mm -hmm. Like you can't expect your developer to know all the fancy design jargon and you can't necessarily be expected to know all this like really in-depth development jargon. Mm -hmm. But on things like this where, you know, you have to communicate these things, if you want your mock-up to like look or if you want your website to look like the mock-up, then you have to be willing to kind of learn a little bit and bear in mind that your developer didn't go to school to learn about design. They, They may not know anything about design, they just know how to bring it all to life. So keep those things in mind when you are trying to communicate things like your tracking and letting with them. Pretend we're like little five-year-olds when it comes to how much we know about design. Yes. And then we just happen (laughs) to be really good at coding, whatever. Don't worry about it. (laughs) But right along with that, If you want things to be perfect, use the right tools for your mockups. So throughout my last, let's see, I've been partnering with designers for over a year and a half now. I have received mockups in PNG, InDesign, Photoshop, Illustrator, and InVision formats. I'll tell you right now, PNG and InDesign, they don't cut it um, if you want your mockups to be perfect. I made can it work, I just, but it wasn't great. Yeah. Can I just interrupt you here and say, this is me on my designer high horse, judging <laughs> all the people who have ever used InDesign for the wrong That's thing. Like, yeah. InDesign is not for web design. InDesign was created so you could make like print materials, think a magazine mm-hmm. or a newspaper. InDesign was not created for you to lay out a website. So if you're mm-hmm. wondering why it takes you 55 hours to lay out <laughs> one single page in InDesign, it's because it wasn't created for that. So let me get back off my high horse. So much attitude. That's all I had to say about that. No, and I mean, it's hard to use. Like for me to go in and I couldn't like figure out how to export images. I couldn't get sizes of things easy. I'm like, what is this evil? Like, Yeah, it's because it's not created for those people that you've worked with that have used it. It's like, no, don't yes. use that. Stop it. Oh gosh. So most developers are going to prefer Photoshop. I I personally will work with Photoshop, Illustrator, or InVision. Um, for me, InVision is my favorite. I've only worked with it one time, but it was so amazing because it shows things like hover effects and like page actions. So you can click on something and the thing that's supposed to happen will happen. Um, and I could click on like a button and it would tell me exactly what font, color, size, letter spacing, line height, everything that was supposed to be used for that button. And I was like, this is heaven. Like there was no clicking around all over in Photoshop trying to figure those things out. It was all right there. Um, so this makes communicating things so, so much easier than tools like Photoshop or Illustrator. Um, but Corey, Corey, I think we've talked about this before. Did they have like a fee or extra fee or something to use that? Is that why a lot of people don't? 
I don't know if that's why a lot of people don't use it, but um, for our listeners who missed out on this private conversation we had, <laughs> I um, I am actually interested in trying Envision. There's like some sort of gap where my brain can't quite figure out how it works. <laughs> but um, for me personally, I pay a monthly fee for the, uh, the whole Adobe software mm-hmm. so I can have access to everything. And for me to pay another monthly fee for another software that makes it easier for you to do something (laughs) I can do in Illustrator is like, I love you, but do I love you that much? Should I I maybe I'll pay your monthly fee to use that? (laughs) Yeah, if you like it so much, but yeah. So there is a free version. I think you can do like three projects, which for most Mm. of us, that would be totally plenty. It's like I said, I would recommend people check it out too because I want to. I just can't get over that like weird, I don't understand it thing. (laughs) Oh gosh, I can see it though. Hey, it's something different, whatever. Yep. So yeah, basically what we're saying here is the tools that you use for your mockups will dictate how accurate your developer can get. So just something else to think about. And then our last thing to think about when it comes to your mock-up specifically is knowing what to give your developer in addition to those mock-ups. So if all you give them are those files and call it good, your developer isn't going to be able to do their job totally effectively. The more you can provide them and the more you can like lay out so, so clear, the better they'll be able to do their job. So I'm thinking of things like even just a simple style guide where you include things like colors, fonts, the exact heading styles you want, button styles. I mean, yes, they might be able to dig up some of this or even most of it through your mock-ups, but this makes it so, so clear. And if there is anything missing, they have this one thing to reference. They have no reason to really miss anything. Um, In addition to those things, um, images should be cropped and sized just the way you want, so you don't have to worry about your developer screwing things up. You should provide your font files, all the copy, details on hover and transition effects. Like I know this is a lot to think about, um, but if you want your developer to do a good job, those are some of the things you need. And I'll be sure to link to like a resource in the show notes that kind of lays all these things out. Um, but giving giving them everything they need will certainly help the end result you get. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think that whole list does seem really overwhelming at first. It's like, holy crap, there is so much that I have to pay attention to. But I know in my experience of working with you, and this is no fault of yours, it's totally mine. (laughs) If I don't tell you something like what color I want the button to be when someone hovers over it, you are just going to guess. And most of the time, I agree with you. I'm like, yes, I like that color, so (laughs) let's keep it. But sometimes it's like, "Mm, I don't know if that quite works. So if you don't tell your developer these things or give them the actual font files Mm -hmm. or the images cropped, you know, that's something else I think I'm kind of bad about. (laughs) Maybe. But... (laughs) But if you don't give them these things, then they're going to take it upon themselves to guess or do whatever, you know, cropping and whatever they have to do. And it's, it can, I can see how it would make the project take longer when you have to go back to them and be like, 
actually, you got all of this stuff wrong, and, oh, wait, it's not your fault, it's mine. Yeah, exactly. And, like, even things like having to go in and crop crop the photos, yeah, they can probably handle it, but it's going to take longer on their end. And I guess maybe some of them can't handle it, I don't know. I know a problem (laughs) I actually have when I am cropping photos is exporting them at the right, like, resolution and stuff, because I don't know what any of that means. Just send me your files, (laughs) you know? So just something to think about. But those are the, you know, the mock-up specific things you can do to make sure you are getting the best final result possible. But there are a couple more I want to go over, just two more. Interrupting the parts of your design projects you love for tasks you don't enjoy doing isn't any fun. For a lot of designers, one of the most frustrating parts of a web design project is the coding and anything else tech-related. The design comes easy to you, but then you have to spend hours and hours googling how to make a simple change to the template you're using to make it just right. Luckily, it doesn't have to be this way. In the free Get Back to Design email series, you'll learn all about how to partner up with the developer on your design projects so you can ditch the code and do more of what you love. We'll talk about what to know before going into your first collaboration, what the process looks like, and how to find the perfect developer for you. To learn more about this free series, head over to getbacktodesign.co slash series. First is clear communication. So this includes everything from the information you give your developer to how you organize that information and where you communicate. Um, First, don't assume anything. Don't assume your developer is going to understand a single thing or assume anything correctly. Make it all crystal clear. So like Corey was just talking about with the hover effects, don't like assume they'll know what color to make that. We're not designers for a reason for most (laughs) of us. So like another example, if and this one is for like where the communication is happening and how information gets passed around. If you and your client are communicating in a place your developer can see it, like don't always assume they're reading through every single back and forth you have with your client unless you guys have agreed that that's happening. Um, It's your job as the designer to take the important information out of the conversation you have and give it to your developer in a way that they can implement and understand easily rather than, you know, if you have a long conversation going on, they could you know, find something that they thought was important, but then later on down the road, you guys maybe changed your mind and they don't see that. So you just want to make everything so, so, so clear and don't assume that they're understanding anything correctly, really is what I'm trying to say. Um, Also decide on one place to communicate. And this is going to depend on your preferences. I don't think there's one place that works way better than anything else. I know there are some developers out there who will only use Slack. Um, for me, I feel like this is this would be really confusing just because of how long conversations can get and trying to search through it all. Uh, I know there are some people who love it, though. For me, I think uh, Trello or Asana are really, really great because you can like talk about an item on the specific task it's related to. So if you have a piece of information about the homepage that your client gave you and you want to pass it on to your developer, you can just communicate with, you know, like add a comment on the homepage task rather than like throwing it in an email in Slack and hoping they don't lose it. Um, So trying to keep track of things in places like email or Slack or in multiple locations just increases the likelihood of something being missed. And we don't want that. That extends timelines and makes the final product less than perfect. Um, But make sure you're okay with the way your developer wants to communicate before you agree to a project. 
I would like to think that most would be, um, you know, kind of flexible. I like Asana and that's where I always start. But if I had a designer tell me, hey, I prefer Trello, I'd be like, all right, I'll just copy my process over there. That's fine. But you want to make sure you're not stuck with someone who will not bend their process based on how you kind of use things best. Yeah, I think this is really important to make sure you are considering how your developer actually wants to communicate. Because I think sometimes it's easy, well actually all the time in my opinion, it's easy for us to dictate how our clients speak to us. So Mm -hmm. like in my contract, I'll be like this, all of the communication for this project is going to be in Asana, like point blank. That's it. Don't email me ever again until the project (laughs) is over. And it doesn't actually say that, but that's kind of how I feel. But you can't do that necessarily with your developer because it's some things, like you said, if you were using Slack for it, it would get really lost. And if you were trying to force them to work how you are comfortable, it is going to make things a lot more frustrating probably for both of you throughout the project. So yeah, just like what we were talking about earlier, you kind of have to meet in the middle Mm -hmm. here and find something that works well for both of you. And hopefully it will be on the first try and not like the fifth. (laughs) Yeah, fingers crossed. (laughs) It's going to be difficult, but it can be. (laughs) So in addition to communication, the last thing I want to talk about, um, you know, how you can make your websites end up just like your mock-ups really comes down to choosing the right person. So no matter how perfect your mock-ups are or how organized your communication is, if you don't choose someone who knows what they're doing, the final website is not going to turn out how you want it to. Like it's that simple. It's just not. Um, We're going to go over this more in a future episode. It needs to happen, but I want to give you a quick overview of how you can choose the right person. Most importantly, please look for someone with experience. Look at their portfolio. Look at their about page and, you know, how they got to where they are. Look at testimonials to make sure they have them and see if you are very convinced that you know what they're doing. If you're not totally convinced by their website, there's a real good chance they don't know what they're doing because it's not hard as developers to prove that, hey, we have these websites that look awesome. Here they are. You know, it's not difficult. And I know this comes down to cost for a lot of designers. Um, Developers are expensive. You know, thousands of dollars for a custom website is very typical. So it's tempting to be like, oh, this person, you know, their website isn't as great, but they'll do it for $500. So I'm going to go with them. People with more experience are going to cost more and they are worth the extra money, especially when you consider what could happen if you choose someone without experience just because they're cheaper. And I sadly have a really good example of this happening uh, with a client I worked with last year. You know, we were going along fine, but then they were running three weeks late and I couldn't do that. I had other clients starting. I could not run three weeks late, so I had to postpone the project for three months until I was available. They couldn't wait that long or they should have waited that long. They decided they didn't want to wait that long and they went out and found a different developer and they went the cheaper route. They went for someone who could start sooner and wouldn't charge very much. And you guys, right now it is nine months later. The website is it's not good. There are big, big problems. The client has come back to me asking if I would do anything about it, if I had a backup of the work I did before the other developer jumped in, uh, if I could fix things, what I, you know, what I thought she should do. I went in and looked. My advice to her, start from scratch because this guy screwed everything up, you know. 
if they would have chosen someone that cost even a couple thousand dollars extra but knew what they were doing, they would have a perfect website that looked great and there weren't going to be any additional costs or do-overs. So it sounds dramatic, but that's what happens. People that don't know what they're doing don't have the skills they need to take a design and translate it effectively and especially in a way that a client can then go in and take care of and manage on their own. It's just it's just not pretty. I get a little ranty about this. Yeah, and I think it's totally okay to get ranty. And even myself, um, as of recording this, I am working on a customization project through Coded Creative, and I was just telling my husband last week, you know, I was working on all this stuff. It took me a long time to figure out how to do it. I figured it out. I guarantee it's not the right way to do it. (laughs) It's not how Krista would do it. But I somehow managed to make the PHP do what I wanted it to do. And that is the big difference in two people, one who has the right experience and someone else who is doing a whole lot of Googling to figure (laughs) out how to make things happen on your website. Mm -hmm. And it may be okay for little tweaks and changes. Like if I know I'm going to have to Google something to try to figure it out for my site or maybe for a past client, I am willing to put in the time and research to figure it out because I'm interested in learning, you know, and making sure I'm doing things the right way. But when you're doing a whole entire website, you cannot, cannot take the cheaper way out because you definitely run the risk of being in a position like that. So this is one of those fields where you for sure are getting what you pay for. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I know that cost can be painful sometimes. But when you and your clients understand the benefits, it's just worth it. That's just all there is to it. (laughs) Yeah. So comes down to that. Um, And one other thing I want to mention when it comes to choosing the right person, when you are doing a custom website, look for someone who specializes in working with designers. Um, I started out doing development just for clients. So I was kind of targeting the same people designers target. I was just kind of doing tweaks and stuff for them. Since I went from doing that to working with designers, I can tell you just how different it is to work with those two people. Um, doing work for designers requires so much more attention to detail. It's insane. Like like what I was talking about before with having to get things matched up pixel by pixel. You don't have to do that with clients. And someone who is used to working with clients and not with a designer isn't going to be ready for that. Um, it also requires certain types of communication, a heck of a lot more organization. And... You know, someone who who has worked with designers before, they know what they need to get a project done, as where someone who just works with clients, they're not going to know, and it's going to be a lot of back and forth getting them what they need. So if you want a good final product, and it, you know, without pulling your hair out, basically look for someone who specializes in working with designers. And I know those developers are few and far between, but they are popping up more. I'm going to be honest, I see a lot of people in Facebook groups going, hey, I see Krista targeting designers, and I see this person targeting designers, how can I do that? So they are popping up more and more. It is is worth the extra research to find those people. So as a recap for this episode, I ended up a little ranty on. (laughs) All in all, you really should expect your final website to look just like the mockups you provide. You shouldn't have to worry about, you know, finding all these inconsistencies or wondering what things are going to look like. But this does take some knowledge on your part um, to deliver the mockups the right way. 
as well as some organized and efficient communication. But with all of that being said, it really comes down to the person you choose and whether or not they have the skills needed to bring your mockups to life effectively. So your action steps for this episode are to look at the mockups for the last design you did and consider whether they'd allowed a developer to effectively translate your vision into a website. So that includes things like designing on a grid, designing to scale, using the right units of measurement, and using a tool that allows a developer to get the information they need easily. If you find through doing this that you're missing something, either like do a quick test project, maybe mock up a page on your own website or, you know, something like that to keep these things in mind and kind of get them, make them become habit or at least get yourself familiar with it. So during your next project, you can do this effectively and have the website turn out just the way you want. Thank you so much for listening. For show notes, past episodes, and more information about the two of us, visit us online at getbacktodesign.co. If you enjoyed today's show, it would mean the world to Krista and I if you take two minutes to head on over to iTunes and leave a review. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes are available. Now put what you learned into action so you can streamline and grow your business, ditch the code, and get back to design. Oh,